This morning, as we continue our time of worship, I'm going to read from the book of Romans. I love the book of Romans, so I'm going to be very brief and just stick to the text. Starting in chapter 5, verse 20 and following. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through the baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe also that we shall live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Father God, as we come before you and as we begin to understand and unpack what it means, this idea of baptism, let us not forget, let us hold closely to salvation in you does not give us permission, but gives us a purpose. Let us work towards that purpose, declaring to all that we live to God. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Oh, the picture of baptism is what we're going to be talking about today. And as I get started, I'm going to send all of our kids out over to my right, your left, and they're going to head to their classes as they do I would like to ask you to take a look up at the screens for me today. And as you take a look at the screens today, I want you to see the mission statement of our church. The mission statement of our church, we've been doing this why series, and in the why series, it's about why we do what we do. Well, the mission statement of the church really speaks to why we exist as a church, and it says these words, it's words you can find on our website, it's words you can actually find on that Church Connect link that we've sent to you. It says, our goal here, why we exist as a church, is to passionately connect people with God and encourage them in their next steps of their faith journey with Jesus Christ. That is why we do what we do. And as we do that, we don't do it to spread the name of our church We don't do it to spread the name of me or you. We do it to spread the name of Jesus Christ and do it all for the glory of God. 
That is why we do what we do. We connect people with God, and we connect people with God for His glory through things like communion that we talked about up front, as well as worship and evangelism and discipleship and connection and giving and serving and giving of our finances and giving in these different ways. We encourage people to take that next step in those same areas. And we do it for His glory. And I do want to point out that first word. We do it passionately. I never want to become a passionless church that just exists to exist. That just meets on Sunday mornings because that's just what we do. No, we want to do these things passionately to see people take the next step with Jesus Christ. And we are in our why series. And our why today is the thing that probably excites me the most about the church about getting to be a pastor. It's about the next steps. It's about life change. It's about giving God the glory and giving God the praise. It's about taking something that was dead, that God did, and He brought it back to life. Today, we talk about something that really ties in all of our wives. It's either tied in because of the results of our wives or it results in the rest of our wives. And our, our thing today, our why today is baptism. It is baptism. As a matter of fact, next week, we're going to give you an opportunity that if you have never been baptized, we're going to have a baptismal tank right here and we're going to make a mess of this place because we're going to be dunking so many people there's going to be water going all over the place all right so i'm already excited about it. we already have one lined up josh back there josh has been chomping the bit he's like when are we going to do this i'm like just give me a second man we're going to get through the why we're going to get there i promise and he's excited to be able to be in front of you and maybe you'll have that opportunity to join him in that why baptism baptism to be honest is probably considered a hot button topic of all things to to have a hot-button topic of in the church, it is. Because so many people have so many different thoughts and so many different questions and so many different discussions, and I use the word discussions, but sometimes they turn into more than discussions, about this very topic. Questions like, what is baptism? Or, why do I need to get baptized? Is it necessary to get baptized in order to be considered saved? Why did Jesus get baptized? What about infant baptism? Is it the same thing as adult baptism? So if I got baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church or something like that, do I need to be baptized as an adult? What method of baptism is right? Do you get fully dunked? Or do you get a little sprinkle here and there? What is it? And these are things that are truly on the minds of a lot of people when you talk about Baptism, And it's a big subject for us to dive into. And yes, pun intended. And so we're going to dive into this today. And hopefully by the end of today, your questions will be answered. And even more so, if you have the clarity about baptism and you have not been baptized yet, you'll make that decision this week and join us next week for that next step of faith. Today, to start, I want to lay out, excuse me, I want to lay out a simple explanation for you and to quickly answer the question of really the the what is baptism and it really ties into the why and the how as well. And the answer is this. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. That is what baptism is. 
That is what we believe, and that is what we teach. It's our way to share with the world who we are as a follower of Christ, to show the world what Christ has done in our lives, that we've been brought from death to life. That is what baptism is. Uh, there's a, I'm not, some of you may not even know this, but we are a Southern Baptist church. And in the Southern Baptist Church, they have a document called the Baptist Faith and Message of 2000. And basically, it's a document that summarizes the key confessions of the faith for the Southern Baptist churches to, to come in line with as being in good standing with the Southern Baptist Convention. And this is what it says about baptism, and this is what we believe as a church about baptism. Strictly, straight from Baptist Faith and Message 2000, I will read it for you. Christian Baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. That's what we believe. Now you might be like, wow, that was a lot. What I want to do is I want to break down a couple of those key statements within that statement and give you a little bit more to it all. And these are things I'm probably going to repeat a couple of times this morning just because I really want us to get it because I believe baptism is that important. The first thing I want you to see is this. In that statement, you saw the word obedience. It's an act of obedience. Baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we use it often. You hear me talk about it often. It's the Great Commission. Jesus gives an order. He ordains this. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. There's two ordinances really within the church that we hold on to. The Lord's Supper and baptism. The reason why we call them an ordinance is because Jesus ordained them or he gave a command. A command from a superior authority. That's the definition of an ordinance. So, here's the command. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What I see in this passage, from what I see here, this is an ongoing, an ongoing practice in the church. And as we look at it, I think as long as this age exists before Jesus returns, we are to be making disciples. We are to be teaching them everything he commanded, and we are to be baptizing them in the process. So that's the first thing we see. It's a, it's a, command, it's, it's a command, and we are to be obedient to that. Second is, is baptism expresses our union with Christ. It symbolizes, as it said within that statement, our faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. As we walk in the newness of life in Jesus Christ, it's what Pastor Bruce read up front when he read from Romans chapter 6. He said these words in verses 3, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we may also walk in the newness of life. So, First, baptism is an obedience thing. Second, it expresses our union with Christ. Third, it's a symbol. And not just a symbol, it's a symbol by immersion. You'll see that in that same statement. Our death to sin 
and burial of our old life and resurrection into a new life. That is what the immersion part is. It symbolizes who we once were, we're buried, and we rise again to walk in a new life. And you'll hear me say it when we do it. I don't just say it because it's a coined phrase. It is the symbol that I'm trying to make sure that we understand. We say by immersion because it's not just a symbol, but it also falls along with the Greek word for baptism. It actually means to be immersed. So, and you'll see that in other contexts, not just in this idea of of us getting baptized into water. Jesus actually talks about a baptism in Luke chapter 12 that he must go into, and he's symbolizing what's about to come and take place. So we have a symbol by immersion. It's also in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Why do we say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Why will you hear me say that next week when I'm baptizing Josh in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, one, because Matthew 28, 19 says so. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it goes even further and beyond that. It's, a, it's the fact that the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son need to be present in the act of this symbolism because they're the ones who changed me. They're the ones who changed you. We cannot do it on our own. Jesus came, He lived the perfect life, He died the perfect death so that we could have eternal life, so that we could die to our old sins and walk in the newness of life. They need to be present in the act because they need to have the honor for the fact that it's even happening in the first place. The fifth thing I want you to see here is this, baptism demonstrates our faith. If you look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, actually all of Colossians 2 is great, but for time's sake, and my wife's teaching back in the back, she's like, can you cut a few things? Um, uh, This is what it says, starting in verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by Him who is ahead over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in Him with the circumcision not done with hands by putting off body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised in Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses i tell you all of this this morning and i'm going to tell you this multiple times this very phrase as we look at baptism baptism is an outward expression of an inward change showing the world that we are followers of christ it may not seem like a big deal here because in america we're not really threatened at least not this point in time with following Christ. People aren't against us for following Christ. But in many countries around the world where Protestantism uh, is not the primary thing, if you choose to follow Christ, you're putting your life on the line. And when you show in the symbol of baptism that you once were, you now are a follower of Christ, there's plenty of repercussions. As a matter of fact, I had dinner on Friday night with a newer couple in the church, and she's from Pakistan. 
And she became a believer in Jesus Christ in Pakistan and had to be baptized in a secret location. But even when she was baptized, she was cut off from her family. They said, no more. And, and I think about that. What do we do when we make the decision to be baptized? Oh, I, I, I got to get in front of everybody. <gasps> I know it's so scary. But they have to get up and say, hey, this is who I'm following and their families are going to disown them. There's a possibility that, that the, the company they keep will never talk to them again. There's a possibility that the authorities may come after their lives. That's a huge decision. A huge decision for each of them. A, a major one. And they believe it's a necessary one. Or they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't put their lives on the line that way. But identifying with Christ in a culture that is opposed to them is something I think we're all going to have to come to grips with. Baptism isn't just something we do. It's a necessary result of a genuine saving faith. It's a necessary result of a genuine saving faith. See, we live in a day where one-third of Americans claim to be born again. But very few of them live any differently than the rest of the population. These professing Christians have said, I invited Jesus into my heart. Or they went forward in response to an evangelistic message. Or they, they raised their hand and then follow-up counselors explained to them in some way, shape, or form that they just received Christ and the Bible promises eternal life to all that receive Him. So they assure them they are now eternally secure in faith. But here's the question. Are they? And I know that's a whole sermon for a whole other day. The, the, the idea of being eternally secure and we can go deeper and deeper into it. And here's my answer for today. Maybe or maybe not. You're like, well, that was vague. Let me tell you why. Because the real issue here isn't whether or not you said a prayer. The real issue here is, has God changed your heart? Has God changed your heart? Has He raised you from spiritual death to spiritual life through the power of the Holy Spirit? If there is genuine spiritual life, genuine spiritual things taking place in somebody's life, there will be evidence of it. There will be. There'll be a longing to know Christ better through God's Word. There'll be a hatred of sin and a desire to please God instead of please ourselves. There'll be a new love for others, especially for other believers. And now these changes, they take time. And yes, we will struggle along the way. But there will be overall progress of growth in obedience to God stemming from a changed heart. If the person has no desire to obey God, they need to check their heart. Plain, simple, and period. As a matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon, he says it this way. But if you have a faith which never touches your heart, a faith which never causes you to rejoice or mourn, a faith which neither makes you hate sin nor love the Lord Jesus... I charge you to shake off your faith as Paul shook off the viper from his hand for it is a deadly faith. Only the living faith which works upon the heart and influences the desires and the affections can be the faith of God's elect. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tell us these words. For you are saved by grace through faith and it is not from yourselves, it is God's gift not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We are saved by grace through faith alone. However, a saving faith is never alone. A saving faith is never alone. Saving faith always results into a life of obedience with Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says these words, This is how we know that we know Him. You want to know if you know Jesus? John tells us. You know what he says? It's if we keep His commands. What did we already say? Baptism is part of obedience to the Lord. One of the most important commands is that we confess our faith through the waters of baptism. I want to show you from the book of Acts how closely the book of Acts connects a saving faith with the obedience in baptism, really acts of obedience in general. First, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It was in conclusion to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. In response to what he had said, everybody had heard, there's a question from the crowd, and the question from the crowd was, is, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to clarify this verse for just a second. Because some people will take this verse and say, well, it says it's necessary for salvation. It says, repent and be baptized for your sins. But the problem we have here is we see that word and we have to look at the word for. Because for has more than one definition. And sometimes we think it means to uh, do it because... It's in order to or in response to. The word here is in response to for four. It's like this. It's like saying, man, I have a headache. I need to take two a leave for my headache. A leave can pay me because we're on YouTube and that, that'll be great for, for publication. But here's the thing. We have the word for in response to. I am getting baptized in response to my repentance. In response to me being saved by Jesus Christ. We have to remember that as we do in the very next chapter. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 3 verse 19. It says these words, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And in that it says nothing about baptism. The reason why is because they don't have to go hand in hand. Because baptism is a part of our salvation. Though it does go hand in hand with our salvation in a response to our salvation we can go into a whole whole lot more verses with that but for time's sake we're going to jump right to the point i'm trying to make while it's not necessary for salvation there was a close connection in the minds of the apostles between belief and baptism it is unheard of in the new testament for a, a new christian or a christian at all to be unbaptized is that a word to not be baptized it's unheard of in that. It's not part of a salvation, but it is a result of it. It was a connection of that symbolism of identity. Again, I am now following Christ. And we see it throughout the book of Acts. And we said it from the beginning, even with the Baptist faith and message. This is where we see ourselves, this obedience. Are we in obedience? Have you been baptized? And we've laid out what Jesus has said. We've laid out what the, the apostles have said and, and how they responded. We've cleared up some of the maybe misunderstandings, hopefully. We're kind of flying through this. And I've already said it, and I'll be saying it again and again because I think it bears repeating. 
Baptism is separate from a saving faith. Baptism is separate. It's not necessary for salvation, but it's a result of it. Now, in baptism, what is a person doing? They're confessing his or her faith in Christ. But that faith is not from baptism. The faith is from the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ saved you. What does that mean? Because maybe we need to get back to that part first. Saving faith is our personal response to Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Saving faith is our response to what we call the gospel message. Let me take a second just to explain that, and I'll go straight from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Simple explanation of the gospel message. For I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Simple gospel message. You go to Paul's testimonies. He's sharing with Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate His extraordinary patience as an example to those who believe in Him for eternal life. This is something we have to get. We have to realize Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. He did not come to give you a better self-esteem. He did not come so you had a happier marriage or a better career. That wasn't His desire. His desire was to save you from your sins. When we take sin out of the picture, and too often churches do, when we take sin out of the picture, guess what? Jesus didn't have to die. He didn't have to die if we take sin out of the picture. Or if you add to His death, you make Him weaker than He is. You, you take away His power. You say that He isn't enough. And if you take away the power of the death and the burial of the resurrection, you take away the good news of the gospel. Then it just becomes news. Because if you have another way, that's not the good news. That's just the news. The Bible is clear that our sins have alienated us from God. If we die in our sins, we will spend eternity separated from Him. It's called death. It's called hell. That is where we are. We are separated from God, paying the penalty for our sins. But the good news is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to earth to bear the punishment that I deserved, that you deserved. He lived a perfect, righteous life, and He had no sin of His own to atone for. Being fully human, His death could atone for human sins, but He was also fully God. And in being fully God, his death had infinite value. As Paul puts it in this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made the one, he being God, made the one being Christ, who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does that verse mean all people are saved from God's righteous judgment? All can be. But, as we search the Gospels, it's only those who believe in the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Those are the ones who are saved. As a matter of fact, Acts 16.31 says it very clearly. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It is critical for us to understand that saving faith is not just some mental agreement that Jesus existed. Or, or that, that Jesus had 
certain facts about him that you believe. That's not where we find ourselves. We need to understand saving faith involves repentance and turning from your sin. Because that's what repentance means. It means to make a 180. You cannot turn towards God without turning from your sin. Because they are separate. They are completely opposite of each other. And it involves denying any trust in your good works too. Sometimes you think, well, I'm just good enough. You are not. Instead, we entrust our eternal destiny in the entirety of what Jesus did on that cross. That is where we find ourselves. We believe that He paid the penalty which we reserve. The difference between mental assent and genuine faith is, is basically saying that you believe versus actually trusting in what you believe. It's like this. If I go get on a plane and I stand at the door of that plane, I might believe that plane is going to take me to my destination. I might believe that that pilot can fly that plane, but until I take that next step and cross that threshold and get on that plane, it doesn't matter what I believe is putting my trust in that. Do you believe that Jesus is going to take you to your final destination? Get on board with Jesus. Have you turned from your sins and trust in Him instead of your own good works? Have you, have you trusted Jesus that He is going to save you from God's judgment? Well, if you have, your first sign should be getting baptized. Taking that next step. Why? Well, let's bring it back around again. Baptism is the outward expression of an inward change. It's the inward reality of a saving faith. Think about it this way. In May, May 1st, I'll be celebrating 25 years of marriage to Christy. And in that, I wear a wedding ring. Can I just tell you, this wedding ring does not make me married. This wedding ring, if I lose it, and this is the third one I've had in 25 years, so I can tell you, (laughs) part of it is because I got really big and it didn't fit around my finger anymore, and then I got really small and it didn't fit around my finger anymore, and then I've also lost a handful. So in that, this wedding ring does not make me married. You know what makes me married? The day 25 years ago, that I stood and I made a vow to my wife that I was hers alone. That's what makes me married. This ring is a symbol of that. It's what people see and say, he's not available. Not that I would... All that's super attractive anyway. But hey, we'll get, it. we'll get into that story another time as well. But here's, here's the thing. When people see, they understand that. What baptism is, is a symbol to say that I am not available, world. I belong to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. That is what baptism does. It's separate from a saving faith, but we've also said this as well, that it is a necessary result of that saving faith. Why? Well, we said it. True faith results in obedience. James chapter 2 says, faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. We can say all we want. If someone claims to have believed in Christ, but there's no change in their heart, man, they have to do a heart check. They have to do a heart check. We need to go back and examine our heart and see if we are truly, genuinely saved. Is Jesus doing a work in my life and changing me to be more like Him? True faith results in that obedience. The second thing we have to understand is this. Baptism is a matter of obedience. Obedience. 
It's a matter of obedience to Christ. Have, have you ever wondered why Jesus got baptized? Youth, have you ever wondered why Jesus got baptized? Coincidentally, totally not in, on purpose, the youth Bible study class this morning talked about why Jesus got baptized. And if I were to ask them, I would run out of time for the rest of the morning because I'm sure they have all kinds of information. If you want to talk to them about it, especially parents, find out why. But I'll give you this real quick. Just as short of it is, is one, Jesus died or, or was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that. Actually, Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 3. It, and also, it was a symbol of what was to come. Luke chapter 12, verse 50, that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Jesus says, hey, this is a baptism that I'm going to go through and I'm already consumed with the outcome. That baptism is his true immersion in death and being raised to life. That is why Jesus got baptized in obedience to what God wanted. Not my will, but yours. Why should we do it? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Same thing. It's not our will, but His. Jesus submitted Himself to baptism in obedience to the Father, and in doing so, He identified with us as well. For those who He came to save, He set the, um, the example for our obedience. We see it in the Great Commission, and Christ commanded baptism for all that follow Him. Well, what about those persons that says, I'm just really too shy. I, I, just, I just can't get up in front of all of those people. I've never had that issue. So I can't speak completely clearly to that, but this is the way I kind of see it. If Christy, who is a bit more shy than I am, said, I can't stand up in front of all those people and, and say, I do to you. Why not? Do you not really want to tell all those people that you love me? Same thing with Jesus, isn't it? Do I really not want to stand up in front of all those people and say, Jesus, I love you? See, our baptism, it preaches a sermon that I could never preach. To identify with Christ, to let everyone know that you are a part of his family, to let everyone know that you're a part of his church, what you came from and who you are now, what you were buried to and what you came to. That's why I believe Baptism matters. Baptism matters. Some people say, oh, it really doesn't matter. And they go to the thief on the cross, and that, that's, that's fine. Again, it doesn't have to do with salvation, but I think it matters. Why do we do baptism? Because it matters. Baptism matters in your relationship to God. Lord, I'm willing to forsake everything in my own life to follow you. I'm taking up my cross, I'm denying myself, and I'm following after you. I have decided to follow Jesus. Man, hearing that song at the beginning and during that video, I don't know about you, but I think just about every Sunday night church service ended with that song. Every single one of them. Because it was, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, I was waiting for it. I knew somebody would say it. No turning back, no turning back. That was the idea of giving yourself. But as we do it, baptism matters. It's saying that out loud in a symbolic way that I once was and I now am, and it matters in a relationship to God. It also matters in a relationship to the church. It matters to the church. 
I truly believe it encourages others because I am encouraged when I see somebody say, I'm going to take that next step. I am going to lay it all out there and let people see exactly who I am and why I do what I do. It matters not just to the church, but I think it matters to people outside the church. What a powerful witness that Jesus Christ can change a life. I've seen some awful people get baptized. And I say that because they were awful until they met Jesus. I'm one of them. Uh, When Paul says that, that I'm the worst, I'm like, hmm, I mean, I've never tried to kill anybody, so maybe he's got a step on me there. But I'm pretty bad. I was, at least, until God came into my life and changed me. Baptism matters to you as well. It's a public testimony of your faith in Jesus. Pictures that you totally identify with him in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. That he washed you from your sins. It, it symbolizes a separation from the world and brings you into a relationship, in, or at least a visual relationship with Christ. Honestly, I think the church has missed the mark for a long time. You know something we don't do here? There's an altar call. I never asked you to raise your hand. You want to pray a prayer to receive the Savior. I haven't said, hey, you want Jesus to come into your heart. And my guess is, is you might be like, why? Why don't we do that? That's the way I got saved. Hey, that's the way I got saved. The summer camp, July of 1988. Some of you are like, 1988? For real? I heard somebody actually call it the late 1900s and it made me feel very old. <laughs> but July of 1988, I raised my hand. I went forward. I, I talked to the, the preacher down front. But there wasn't a whole, whole lot of follow-up until a guy came alongside me to disciple me. And he shared with me what, what was absolutely necessary. It wasn't about praying a prayer. It was about a word, Repentance. I'm not saying the altar call is wrong. And I'm not saying taking that step was wrong. I'm just saying it misses the mark because nowhere in the Bible does it say to do that. What it does say in the Bible is to repent. It says to repent, to turn from your sins. To turn from your sins. Go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Understanding who Jesus is, understanding who I am, the crowd understood the message that Peter brought. And they asked a question. They didn't debate. They didn't have a ton of questions. They asked a question. And that question was, what should we do? And Peter's response was, repent. 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 Recognize your sin, the fact that you're a messed up human being, and turn from that sin by the power of Christ. Repent. And then he goes on to say, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Being baptized shows that you understand what Christ did for you. That you couldn't do it alone. And now you're going to follow His ways, not your ways. It's no longer about you. We've said it from the beginning of this church. We've said it from the beginning of this series. It's not about you. It's all about God's glory. And what He's done and how He's done it. That's a humbling fact to wrap your head around because it's not what the world's going to tell you the world's going to tell you it's all about you but as we come to baptism we realize it's no longer about me christianity has to do really with three big things humility commitment and identification i think baptism it nails all three it represents all three 
to humble yourself to get into the water, to, to publicly stand before your friends and your family and your church and say, I am committing my life to Christ and allow Him to be my Lord and Savior and then identifying to be one of His children. How huge is that? As a wrap-up, there's just really two things. Number one is this. If you have never repented of your sins and given your life to Christ and allowed Him to be the Lord of, the, of all, today's a day. Today's the day. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you. Let's get down on our knees and repent. And ask God's forgiveness. And if you have repented, but have not been baptized, or maybe you got baptized as a child and you don't remember why you did it. It's just because everybody else was doing it. All your friends were doing it. Your brothers and sisters were doing it. Whatever the answer might be to that. I would challenge you to take this week. The reason why we're not doing baptism today is because I want people to take a week to think about it. It's a big decision it's not one i'm like hey i got some shorts back in the back let's throw some on you and dunk you real quick that's not the way i want to do this i want this to be a decision that you make to say i am a follower of christ and i want the world to know it if you've not been baptized consider doing it let's talk about this week and get you ready for next week let's pray together father thank you for your word and thank you for the recording even of the book of acts and all the things that acts shows us as a church on the preaching of the gospel and going into the nations and seeing people not just pray a prayer but repent of their sins and come to you. God, may you have the glory because I know without the work of the Holy Spirit speaking into my life even before making that decision, I would have continued to go down my own ways. But God, you, you have prepped us and brought us to a place to decide to follow you. God, if there's somebody in here today that needs to repent, I pray that you're working on their hearts and minds. God, if there's somebody in here today that has repented of their sins but has never taken that public step of being baptized, maybe they say, oh, I got baptized as a baby. That was a decision their parents made, not the decision they made. I got baptized as a, as a child, but I don't remember what it was. God, may today be the day they say, no, I, I want to do it, and I want it to be real in my heart and real in my life and build that memorial to say, that is the day that I decided to go public with my faith. God, we want you to have the honor and the glory of it all. We don't want it to be about our numbers, about how many baptisms we do in a year, but instead how many people's lives you have changed and brought closer to you. May you have all the glory. We pray in your name. Amen.